Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Braille Institute. My name is Allison Gerstein, and I'm the director of the communications department. I'm so happy that you were able to join us for our annual Macular Generation Seminar today. As many of you know, Braille Institute is a nonprofit organization dependent upon private donations for support. So all of our wonderful programs and services would not be possible without our generous donors and volunteers. Today's seminar is made possible because of a grant from the Meta and George Rosenberg Foundation. Meta Rosenberg was an Emmy Award-winning television producer, story editor, agent, and director whose career spans 65 years. Meta suffered from macular degeneration in her later years and was a Royal Institute Library patron. Asked what words of advice she might give someone else who has lost one of their senses, the simplicity of her heartfelt response was profound. As long as you're alive, you should be living. We're grateful to the Meta and George Rosenberg Foundation for its continuing support of Braille Institute. Before we begin the seminar, please take a few moments to turn off your cell phones, pagers, blackberries, whatever. Um, we also invite you to sign up to have an audio cassette or CD of today's seminar sent to you free of charge. If you've not already done so, you may sign up in the lobby with one of our volunteers. At the conclusion of the seminar today at noon, we invite you to stick around to visit our exhibit hall featuring technology and information for people with low vision. The hall will be open until 1.30 this afternoon. It is now my distinct pleasure to introduce and welcome back to Braille Institute, our first speaker for the day. Dr. Ken Small is the president and director of the Macula and Retina Institute and Molecular Insight LLC. He earned his medical degree from the Tulane University School of Medicine and became fascinated with the field of ophthalmology while conducting research on the eye during his residence at Duke University Eye Center. Over the last 20 years, he has specialized in retinal surgery, striving to provide patients with the latest and most effective surgical solutions for their retinal problems. Before joining the Macula and Retina Institute, Dr. Small served as a professor and director of the Macular Disease Center and Retinal Research Lab at Jules Stein Eye Institute at UCLA. He's a member of numerous medical associations, including the American Academy of Ophthalmology, the Association for Research in Vision and Ophthalmology, and the American Society of Human Genetics. And he has garnered many award honors, including being named one of the best doctors in America and best doctors in Los Angeles. Today, Dr. Small will be sharing with us the latest research in the field of macular generation. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Ken Small. Well, thank you. And as always, it's wonderful being back at the Braille Institute. I'm going to basically spend about a half hour reviewing some basic things about macular degeneration that everybody should know and should be implementing in their daily uh, living activities. And then we're going to talk more specifically about some of the new research that has been coming out. Uh, there's been some very exciting developments uh, within the last oh, 06 to 12 months. So macular degeneration. Uh, first, macula. Uh, the macula is a special part of the retina, and it's the most sensitive part of the retina. It's where the light focuses, and it's where the central vision is, where the fine detail of vision is, which is important for reading and driving and any fine vision tasks. The macula also has more cones, which involve color vision, so it's also more concentrated color vision uh, in that area. 
Now, the, the, the good thing and the bad thing about the macula, it's a very small area. It's only about five millimeters across. The bad part about that is just even a little bit of disease right in the center of the macula that can wreak havoc with the central vision and with reading and activities. And macular degeneration is obviously a degenerative disease of the macula, and today we're talking primarily about age-related macular degeneration. There are actually many, many diseases that affect the macula, some of which simulate macular degeneration, some of which don't. Um, but we're going to concentrate primarily today on, on age-related macular degeneration. The risk factors for age-related macular degeneration is number one, age, uh, as implied by the name. There are other risks, too. Um, genetics, we're learning more and more that genetics plays a significant role in the age-related macular degeneration. Current estimates, there are at least four major genes now identified in the human genome that seem to play a role. And all of them have to do with inflammatory pathways, which has uh, allowed pharmaceuticals and researchers to develop new targets for medicines to treat macular degeneration. And so there are several things going on in development along that line. So number one is age. Number two, well actually number two would probably be smoking. It's one of the few environmental risk factors for macular degeneration. Virtually every study done to date has shown that smoking quadruples your risk of developing macular degeneration, and when you get it, it's more severe. So the number one thing to not do is smoke. Um, it's bad for many other reasons as well, but certainly it's bad for your eyes and your macula. Um, ethnicity. It tends to be uh, uh, more of a problem in the Caucasian and lightly pigmented races. Uh, the more dark, darkly pigmented races seem to get a little bit of protection from having this disease, but only by a small margin. Um, there are large uh, epidemiology studies in the Hispanic population in LA that have documented that the incidence of macular degeneration in the Hispanics, while it's not quite as high as the Caucasian population, is still quite, quite high and as well as African-American populations. They are still susceptible to it, but not quite at the same level of risk as the Caucasian population. Another risk factor is body mass index, which is a polite way of saying obesity. Um, having Being overweight increases your risk for macular degeneration. Another finding, and most of this stuff I'm quoting is there was a big study at NIH published about 10 years ago called the AREDS, was now referred to it as the AREDS uh, study, age-related eye disease study. And this is a study that was paid for by your tax dollars, um, run by the National Institutes of Health, National Eye Institute. And they basically, the beginning of the study was to determine whether vitamins are beneficial in macular degeneration. And along the way, they collected a lot of other information and data about these 6,000 patients that they followed for 10 years. And in that, they found that you know, obesity, being overweight, high body mass index, whatever euphemism you like to call it, um, increases your risk. Um, and uh, having high cholesterol increases your risk. So these are, you know, some of these risk factors you can modify, some of them you can't. But from that, uh, out on the table, um, I have this handout which basically outlines things that everybody with macular degeneration, whether it's wet or dry, should be doing almost every day. Number one on my list at the top is check your Amsler grid. Now this is only useful if you have, you know, 2400 or better vision. 
But the Amazon grid is basically a little piece of graph paper with a dot in the center. And this is a way for you to monitor basically the onset of wet macular degeneration. Dry macular degeneration, which is what 85% of people have with macular degeneration, is a very, very slow progression in the disease over years and decades. Whereas wet macular degeneration, a new blood vessel growth can happen very abruptly over a matter of a few days or weeks. And so any change in the vision, any sudden change in the vision or on the antler grid, the first thing I worry about is that the dry macular degeneration may have turned wet, which again happens to about 15% of people. So number one is check the Amsler grid. Number two, there's a very specific set of antioxidant vitamins with zinc and lutein that, that people should be on. Uh, and this is, this is the AREDS trial study. This was the major aim and goal of the AREDS trial from the National Institutes of Health. And in my handout, I have listed exactly what those components are. It's basically vitamin C, 500 milligrams, vitamin E, 400 international units, beta carotene, if you're not a smoker, zinc, 80 milligrams, and lutein, 20 milligrams. Uh, there are various commercial preparations that have these in them that are on the market nowadays. Um, there's also one that, that I like because it's, it's the least expensive one I've found that's mail order. The uh, issue about beta carotene, there's actually two issues with this, and for the moment, no, three. You should check with your internist before starting these. These are fairly high doses of, of some of these vitamins, which can interfere with a few medications, such as Coumadin, which is a blood thinner. The uh, vitamin E has been an issue in that there was a study that came out two, two years ago, maybe three years ago now, that suggested that high levels, high doses of vitamin E may increase your risk of uh, sudden death, heart attack, stroke, etc. And the study basically, it was, a, it was an odd study design, let's just say that. But basically, NEI went back and, and evaluated the 400 international units of vitamin E and found that at that dose, they found no increased incidence of heart attack, death, stroke, etc. So the 400 international units that are in the AREDS trial appears to be safe. Um, but it can interact with Coumadin. So uh, check with your interns. The um, next thing, and actually this predates the AREDS trial, is spinach. Eat spinach five times a week. And out on the table, we have a, uh, we've been collecting little spinach recipes from people. Because uh, you know, eating spinach five times a week can get a little old sometimes. <laughs> um, nevertheless, it, it's still recommended. And this came out of a study from Harvard that was probably published about probably about 15 years ago now. And this is actually where the lutein came from, or the whole idea of the usefulness of lutein. Basically, this was a, a study of Harvard, and they found that people who were normally and habitually eating lots of dark green leafy vegetables, one had less macular degeneration, and when they got it, it was less severe. So then they went back and kind of ground up the spinach to see what was in it, and it's chocked full of lutein. Now, some of the vitamin companies then got the idea of bottling lutein and selling it. Um, but spinach five times a week. And again, check with your internist. Take this list to your internist because spinach can also interfere with Coumadin, a very serious blood thinner. So you've got to be careful with that sort of thing. Um, now, in the, in the ARIS trial, other issues that came out that are important, eat fish at least twice a week. Take a baby aspirin every day. 
Now, we don't obviously know why that works, although there's now some evidence that it has to do with its uh, involvement in the inflammatory pathways in macular degeneration. But taking a baby aspirin every day is beneficial for macular degeneration. No smoking. If you smoke, stop. Oh, let's get back to the beta-carotene and the smoking issue, because that's a bit of an issue, too. They rinse uh, vitamins, recommend beta-carotene. There are three studies out that suggest that if you're a smoking male, these studies were done in VA hospitals. Um, if you're a smoking male, that it taking, uh, increasing your beta-carotene consumption can increase your risk of lung cancer. So if you smoke, there are, you should not take supplemental beta-carotene. Of course, you should stop smoking, number one, but you should not take supplemental beta-carotene. Um, and there are vitamin preparations out. There's the ARES vitamin for smokers, which is basically everything but the beta-carotene. Uh, lose weight if you're overweight, body mass index again. And then number eight on my list is about the statin drugs, which are basically cholesterol-lowering drugs. The ARES trial found that people who were normally, that were taking statin drugs for high cholesterol, uh, protocol, you know, the list of them, that it is actually beneficial for macular degeneration as well. So look, keeping your cholesterol under control seems to be an important issue. And then one of the latest issues now is there's data coming out of ARES2 that suggests that fish oil capsules, the omega-3 fatty acids, are probably beneficial as well. So that's my nine-point list. Amsler grid, ARES vitamins, spinach, fish, baby aspirin, no smoking or stop smoking, keep your weight under control, keep your cholesterol under control, and fish oil capsules. So those are, the, those are the basic things, whether you have wet macular degeneration or dry macular degeneration, the sort of things that are, should be done, again, with the consultation of your interns to make sure that there's no conflict with any medications that you might be on. Now, this, uh, most of the uh, excitement in macular degeneration clinically over the last, I guess, three or four years has been in the wet macular degeneration arena. There have been uh, a class of drugs that have been developed uh, by pharmaceuticals that help to stop eating growing new blood vessel growth, which is basically wet macular degeneration. In the big scheme of things, most people start off with dry macular degeneration. As it progresses, it weakens a, a layer of the retina that then allows abnormal blood vessels to pop up through this membrane and grow under the retina, and then they leak and bleed and can cause sudden and severe vision loss and scar tissue, which is difficult to deal with. So wet macular degeneration, while it only accounts for 15% of patients with macular degeneration, it accounts for about 80% of severe visual impairment of patients with macular degeneration. So with the development of wet, the vision loss tends to be much more severe. So the pharmaceuticals basically have developed various drugs to stop this blood vessel growth once it starts. There is a molecule that your body makes called vascular endothelial growth factor, which we, VEGF, or VEGF as we refer to it. And there's a, VEGF has been shown to be an important uh, molecule in the development and growth of these abnormal new blood vessels in wet macular degeneration. So pharmaceuticals design targets to block this molecule. The first one that came out was macugen. 
Uh, and all these drugs are injected in the eye. These are all injections into the eyeball itself. And most of you have probably either heard of this, have had it done, or have friends who have this going on. And Macogen shows that it worked somewhat. Shortly thereafter, another molecule that had been designed to stop blood vessel growths in tumors and cancer, and basically most of macular degeneration treatments, particularly wet macular degeneration, is all spin off of cancer research. Because the blood vessel growth in macular degeneration is basically very similar to the blood vessel growth in tumors. So the idea was that if you can control blood vessel growth in a tumor, you can, you can control the tumor. Uh, if you control blood vessel growth in wet macular degeneration, you can preserve vision. And now we're finding out it actually sometimes even improve vision. So the first anti-VEGF drug that was on the market was, was Macugen. Shortly thereafter, uh, Avastin, which is made by Genentech, was developed to treat colon cancer, and it was fairly effective. They decided at Genentech that Avastin was too large of a molecule, and they needed to re-engineer it and clip it off and put a few modifiers on it and such. And with that, they came out with Lucentis. Well, before Lucentis, when Lucentis was still under clinical trial, research trials, a friend of mine at the University of Miami started using Avastin on patients, and it worked darn well. Uh, much to everybody's uh, pleasant surprise, except for Genentech's, because they had invested millions of dollars into developing Lucentis. I bring all this up because there's a, a lot of issues and controversies about some of this. To make a long story short, Avastin works quite well, better than Macugen, and perhaps uh, as well or maybe better than Lucentis, although there's some debate about that. And there's another NIH trial underway doing a head-to-head -head comparison of Lucentis versus, Mac, uh, Lucentis versus Avastin. Avastin is injected in the eye approximately every five to six weeks until you get the leakage to stop. Lucentis is injected in the eye once a month. And if you follow the on-label description of it, you get it every month for we don't know how long. Um, so if you have wet macular degeneration, you're committed to a, a lot of treatments, a lot of return visits, a lot of follow-up, and you have to stay on it on top of it for, for basically the rest of your life. Even if you get the leaking blood vessels to stop, you still have to have it monitored because they can start up again. So we have currently three drugs on the market, commercially available, uh, although one of them is off-label. Avastin is still classified as off-label. It was approved by the FDA to treat colon cancer, not macular degeneration. But it has become the standard of care in the community. So we have Macugen, which is now basically obsolete in my opinion, Avastin and Lucentis. Um, Avastin, like I said, in my opinion, you can give it a little less frequently. It's a larger molecule. It hangs around in the eye a little bit longer than Lucentis does. Uh, Avastin also costs about $25 per shot, and Lucentis costs about $2,000 per shot. Medicare, for whatever reason, does not seem to be terribly concerned about this, although they should be, because one estimation has shown that Lucentis could bankrupt all of Medicare within a couple of years. <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, this is basically, there's pros and cons on this, on this whole issue. Part of it is developing a new drug is a very expensive proposition for pharmaceuticals such as Genentech, and they need to recoup their costs. Hence, Lucentis is $2,000. Of course, their biggest competition to Lucentis is their own molecule, their own drug of Aspen, which is $25. So that, that's all being played out still, and you'll find out some doctors are very committed to Lucentis, and others are very committed to Avastin, and some people mix and match a little bit. 
But the major point is these anti-VEGF drugs do work, and they work quite well. The problem is they just need to be injected very frequently. Um, back in, there's another treatment for wet macular degeneration which also works, called Visudyne, well, it's called photodynamic therapy using a life-sensitive drug called Visudyne. That was approved by the FDA for the treatment of wet macular degeneration in 1999. And by itself, it works, but it didn't work great. It just kind of worked fair. We later discovered that if you use Visudyne photodynamic therapy, oh, let me describe it for you a little bit. It's a, it's a bit of an odd thing. It's also a spin-off from cancer research. It was first developed to treat cancer. But the way it's done is we, you have a nurse put an IV in the patient's arm and infuse a little syringe of a light-sensitive drug called Visudyne. And this Visudyne drug will be activated by one single wavelength of light, a laser light. Also, that wavelength is also in one of the components of sunlight, which is an issue. So we infuse this, this drug, set the patient up at a laser, a cold laser as we call it, because all it does is activate the drug. Put a little contact lens on the eye, shine the laser, the cold laser light into the back of the eye for 83 seconds, and we're done. Except now the patient has to not let sunlight hit their skin for five days afterwards, because the drug would get activated in their skin and they could get a bad sunburn, or worse. So, Vigidine is an interesting treatment modality. Along the way, while these anti-VEGFs were being developed, uh, several of us started using steroid injections at the same time, and our results improved considerably with Vigidine photodynamic therapy with the steroid injection in the eye at the same time. Now we're finding, I'm finding as well as some other researchers, that using the photodynamic therapy in conjunction with the anti-VEGFs and steroid injections seems to work even better. It's kind of a you know, one plus one plus one equals five instead of three. And we're finding that by doing this, we call it combination therapy, because and it's basically like cancer. You know, when people have cancer, you rarely get treated with one drug or one modality. And the same thing is going on with flat macular degeneration. So right now, we have several different drugs that we can treat it with, and we have this cold laser, the photodynamic therapy. And by combining these different treatment modalities, targeting the blood vessel growth through different pathways, we're able to hopefully be more effective and not need so many treatments. So I'm actually a fairly big proponent right now of combination therapy. I think patients that get combination therapy uh, need fewer treatments in the long run, and it seems to hold longer. I'm not sure that the visual outcomes are any different, though. Um, there are, let's hop into some of the research things going on now. That's basically the standard of care of macular degeneration to kind of bring everybody up to the same plain, level playing field. Um, for wet macular degeneration, since we're on that topic, there are several other drugs that are in the pipeline, in the research pipeline, that are being tested in animals and in humans. Uh, one of the human trials going on right now is a drug that's injected in the eye again called VEGF-TRAP, or vascular endothelial growth factor TRAP. Basically, it's, it's a lot like Lucentis and Avastin, except it has tighter binding and seems perhaps to last longer. But that's under clinical investigation. I'm actually involved in that as well as uh, several other centers here in LA. Um, and then there are several other drugs that are in the pipeline. There's actually an eye drop to help try to stop blood vessel growth that's being tested. Um, there's an interesting um, drug uh, called Rapagine or Sorolis. Sur that has some interesting promise in that it looks like 
through a manipulation of the formulation of it, you're able to inject it under the skin of the eye rather than actually into the eye, and there's some promising results on that. It's an interesting drug in that that drug is actually on the market now as a, uh, and it's used to help prevent kidney transplant rejection. So it's an immunodepressant. It depresses the immune system to prevent organ transplant rejection. And it looks like it may have some role in macular degeneration. But again, it's under clinical trial. In dry macular degeneration, for the longest time, you know, I, I had many patients coming in with dry macular degeneration, begging for an injection in the eye because they had friends where it helped so much, where the vision got better. But the injections are not for dry macular degeneration. But there are some new drugs that are in testing for dry macular degeneration, which are looking interesting. Um, one is called fenritinide by a company called Sirion. And it 